Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Claude Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by NFL draft analyst Benjamin Albright. We'll get Benny's thoughts on the draft and break down things position by position when Ben Albright joins us. Coming up in just a little while from right now. Always enjoy our discussions with Ben as he's here with us around this time of the year, uh, each year here on the Jones Report. So I look forward to that. Thomas Bridges is here with me as well. Tom, how are we doing? You know, Jones uh, doing somewhat fun. Uh, besides my broken MacBook, uh, I'm A-OK. Just booked a flight to Italy. Um, so you can say the travel bug has caught me after these post-COVID times. Doesn't flight doesn't leave till February of next year, but uh, I'm already filling up the passport I don't have yet. I like it. It's great. It sounds like a lot of fun. I, I'm I'm looking forward to traveling again. I'll be out on a plane for the first time uh, in over a year, kind of in June, when I go to the NASCAR All Star Race with. Uh, with David Starr and Dominic Argon, you know, we'll, uh, we'll be doing the let's go racing show out there and such, but it's uh, nice that we're getting back to almost normalcy again, that those, uh, better days are ahead. You and I have both been vaccinated and we've talked about that in this show and such. I mean, everything is, uh, good here. No complaints on uh, that front and, uh, coming up on today's show, we're going to have, uh, our, uh, our segment with coach Bo, coach Bo's football fix. This is going to be one of the most interesting Coach Bo's football fixes that the folks have heard. It uh, we, we show some passion. It's friendly, but we'll be passionate, and that's how you like it. And then uh, we'll have our Tom Fuller story of the week at the end of the show as well. So plenty to get to here on the Jones Report. And one thing I want to address off the top is uh, the, the situation with the uh, Derek Chauvin verdict. And, you know, I, I can't give too many opinions, obviously, because the role I have, you know, as a, as a big J journal these days and, uh, and covering that trial firsthand and such. But uh, just looking at it, you know, taking a step back for a second and kind of look at the journey we've all been on together these last 11 months since that video was released of uh, George Floyd being killed by Derek Chauvin to where we are now, um, you know, with Chauvin being guilty on all three charges and more than likely he's going to get life in prison. And, you know, the, the jury, you know, makes the right decision. You know, they, they do what they were tasked to do. And I'm not questioning the you know, judicial system one bit. Um, they did exactly what they were supposed to do. They were charged to do. Were there uh, some outside figures that may have had some influence of some sorts? Probably so, but that's not something that we're here to talk about. Um, what I do want to look at, though, is just you know, kind of where we are right now. And, you know, when everything happened, it was a bizarre time in the sports world if everything was put on pause, right, uh, due to the pandemic. And now, you know, we've, we mentioned off the top, we're close to normal times again, right? Uh, the sports world has resumed, uh, you know, and, and everybody's back to their normal life. We're talking about traveling again and all these things. But as this was going on, there was barely anything that was ha- happening. Um, you know, the, the, 
sports world, our attention was focused on that because we didn't have the uh, other things going on. I, I still stand firm to this day and believe that we spent a lot of time and devoted a lot of hours and such to that because we didn't have the other stuff that we typically are used to. And it was an eye-opening experience for a lot of us and a lot of people throughout this stretch. And I think our country has certainly changed a lot in those 11 months. I don't know what the future looks like, what this all means going forward. That's all hard to predict. All the talking heads you turn on, you know, cable news, whatever, are going to spend their time trying to, you know, say what this means for our future as a country and trying to project what things look like. And in all honesty, they don't know. They're, they're, they're full of it. They don't know what things will look like. But what we can do is step back a bit and just say where we are now. And, you know, from personal experience, you know, most of you all know, you know, I'm a, I'm a minority, you know, I'm a Native American. And, uh, you know, I my eyes were very opened on this. And just to see where our country went from there. And I'm not here to sound woke or try to promote social justice or anything like that. But I can acknowledge, I can sit here and acknowledge that I've learned in this time frame, and that I believe I'm a better person now than what I was 11 months ago. And just to see you know, how people are treated and having respect for others and seeing what other people go through. 11 months later, I'm sitting here and my eyes are as open as ever. And I find that compassion for people more so, you know, that willingness to listen, to stop and hear and, you know, to see what people are going through that I may have had my blinders on before. That's where I've changed as a person between now and then. And, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people that feel that same way, but you know, you go back to that video day one, just how angry it all made us seeing that and what we all went through together. And now we have to ask ourselves, well, what, what is different now? And that's what I would say for me, what is different now? I feel like I'm a better person than I was then because I'm not one to shy away what happens, you know, to people and, you know, I'm not trying to put blinders on or anything like that. I'm here to listen and learn. And, and that's what I want to do going forward. That's a personal goal for me. I'd encourage folks to do the same. But that's where I have changed. And I feel like I'm better. What, what say you, Tom? What, looking back 11 months later, where, where are you at now compared to then? You know, I think I was, you know, everyone can learn something from this and move forward towards, you know, you know, social justice and, and, you know, what, what plagues, you know, America. I mean, it's not, oh, it's, it's, I guess hard to put into, you know, a, a sound bite for me uh, on, on what the whole situation, I guess, means uh, not only to me, I guess, personally, it's not about me, but just to this nation as a whole, uh, it's, it's, you, you know, it's a, lo a lot of people are are obviously happy at the verdict. Some are not. Um, some are indifferent, you know, and, and some think that I, I think in, here, I guess the best way to put it, in my opinion, as I stumble over my words here, is that 
I, I don't think just one verdict or one instance of, of this happening um, is the end of it. It's a step in the right direction, but we must continue to make those steps in the right direction. Um, you know, a lot, there are some people that think, well, okay, this, you know, the verdict's been reached and it's time to celebrate. I wouldn't even say it would be time to celebrate necessarily. I think what happened is what should have been done. And I don't think you, I don't think there should be a celebration necessarily for what should be in what should be and was a, I guess you could call it a no brain. And I wouldn't maybe say no brainer because obviously we went through the trial and did all that, but something that, that there shouldn't have been question of because there was a video of, um, so, you know, there is celebration and I get that, but we must continue to make the right steps in the right direction. Not only, not only in just policing, um, but just in our thoughts and our actions, uh, and just how we treat one another and, you know, kind of try every single day to put yourself in another person's shoes, even if you cannot recognize your own, you know, obviously it starts with each individual person, but, um, you know, recognize, you know, what steps that you can take to make the nation better as a whole, what steps you can take to remove the dividends uh, you know, that, that are constantly put on us, you know, just constantly trying to be put into a box. There's always being a narrative trying to be shifted. And I think, in my opinion, just to be mindful of that and, and to, to honestly, Jones, have, and I'm not directing at you or me or anybody in particular, but and just to have some damn empathy for people. I mean, we just went through this COVID bullshit. Uh, you know, our nation as a whole is not where it needs to be, but verdict, in my opinion, is a right is, is a step in the right direction. I, I don't think it's means for an outright celebration for, you know, it's it's in a way you could say, OK, you, you celebrate this win and then you look to keep winning. You look to keep in the right direction. Um, not not, you know, we, we talk about people celebrating this or, or happy that this reached the verdict and everyone has a statement on coming out and saying this is you know what happened and we will continue to do this and that's great but I, I, for it to even get to a point where we have a trial for you know a cop that ends up guilty for uh, on three different charges we don't want to have that we don't want to get to that point we want that we shouldn't even have to get to that point and, and I guess that's my point is work. Let let's let's enact some some damn laws. Let's enact some damn reform because it's needed, at least in my opinion, to make sure that we don't have to do this all the time to make sure that we're not having to to go through trials and and for this to be just such a big deal. Like we this we're a long ways away. We need to make sure and to take steps in the right direction and enact legislation where this doesn't have to be a thing. I mean, it's, it's going to be a thing and it needs to be a thing, but we need to get to a point or work towards the point and taking steps every day in any way that we can where this is not the norm in America. Because, you know, people might say, well, it's not it's not that big. It's it is that big and it's and it's been happening. 
and there's been, you know, we're, we're having sports, you know, put on demonstrations, rightfully so. I think athletes should be able to use their platform. That's a, you know, a whole different discussion, but it's part of the same one that we're discussing now. But uh, Jones, we shouldn't have to celebrate this now. We're making steps in the right direction. Keep making those steps in the right direction. We should look within ourselves on how we can be better as people, not only in, in wealth inequality, racial inequality, social injustices, you know, any of that, but just being a better person, striving to be a better person every day. And, and that sounds cliche as hell, but right, to, right. to literally look within and, and make those steps, because if we don't, this could be a normal thing and, and, and we can't be having it. Right. Well, and, and here's, here's what I'm looking at too. Um, and I, I feel okay with saying this. I don't think this is something that's going to get me in trouble by any means, but um you know, it, it shouldn't take a video of somebody getting, you know, killed by a cop to wake somebody up, right? I mean, but it did. That's what it right. took a lot. It shouldn't, got, it shouldn't have got to that point, but it, it shouldn't did. have got to that point, but it did. And now I think we all can look back and say, you know, hey, you know, there there needs to be change. There needs to be something done. And in a lot of ways, we're already making that change of some sorts, but we still have a long ways to go. And um you know, this is kind of the, the beginning of something, of an awakening of some sorts, um, I think, in, in this country. And, and we'll see where things end up and where they go from here. But um, we're making progress. And I, I hate that George Floyd had to go the way he did. That was uh, awful. And, and I hope that never happens to anybody again. But I hope that you know, going past this, that we learn, we, we continue to learn from it, that we all become better people. And one of the, I had a conversation just today, actually, with uh, West, Dr. West Crenshaw. He's a uh, family psychologist and author. And uh, one of the things I, I brought up to Dr. West was, uh, you know, talk about this. How do we talk about this with one another? And, you know, one of the things Dr. West mentioned was, you know, hey, Young people, you know, our, our kids and such, they're on social media all the time. They're checking their phones. They're, you know, getting news from sources we don't even know exist and such. And this is the most informed group of young people our country has ever seen. They know exactly what's going on. We don't have to beat the bush on this stuff. We can have these conversations with people and continue to grow and learn from each other and, and take those blinders off and be there for one another. I think that's the big key, the big takeaway from all this now, you know, as far as what we can do better as individuals is, you know, is we, we don't have to hide anymore. You know, we, we can be there and, you know, have those discussions with each other and, you know, be open to share with one another and, and see people for who they are is what I'm looking at. But I know that was kind of a long-winded answer, but I, I felt it was important that we uh, we addressed that off the top of the show today, Tom. And uh, I, I'm glad we did. I, I'm, I, th I think this was something that needed to be said. And uh, I hope that the folks out there took at least some, something from what we uh, what we said there. Yeah, I think so. And, and, and you're right. It needed to be addressed. And 
uh, you know, just the time that we're in, I, I don't think we could have not addressed it. Um, and, you know, I think everyone needs to address it and obviously maybe not on a public platform. You know, I mean, the average person doesn't just have to do a whole podcast over it, but I, I think it's something to think about it, you know, just throughout your day and, and to reflect on, on what has happened and what continues to happen and, and progress from that. So yeah, it, it, it needed to be addressed, uh, not only on this show, but it needs to be addressed throughout throughout this country you know whenever in my opinion whenever possible whenever appropriate whenever you know something needs to be said there you go so uh we'll move on and i'm glad that that's one of the great things that about this show is that you know we don't hide from things here and we we address things head on when something needs to be talked about something needs to be discussed then uh, we're going to do it here uh, on the Jones Report. And, you know, we, we did this again. And we've talked about this for the last 11 months. And, uh, you know, if we felt the need to revisit this or something similar to this, we will. So we'll have those conversations here for you right here on the Jones Report. But we'll go ahead and move on. Um, something a little less serious, more fun, uh, college football. We, we always look for any excuse to talk college football on this show, right? And now uh, I'm connecting kind of two things at once here. Um, there's, uh, there's this talk, I guess, in the European soccer world about a, a super league of some sorts. James Corden went viral, you know, condemning it and such of these uh, European soccer teams that want to bow out of the Champions League and create their own league and, you know, be the best of the best, essentially. Um, and, you know, it's, it's gaining some traction. I know there's some sponsors that have talked about saying they don't want to be a part, that it goes against what, you know, soccer is all about in that country and such. I mean, in theory, if you want to what, – what makes soccer unique is, you know, as far as compared to the other sports in that soccer, you have so many leagues around the world and all the best players are scattered amongst the other leagues. Now, obviously, the most uh, most of the best players are playing in Europe and such. But, you know, you, you have some uh, English Premier League quality players in the MLS or in the uh, German League or, you know, vice versa and such. I mean, it, it's not like the NFL that has ev- all the best football players in the world playing in the NFL. The NBA has all the best basketball players in the world playing in the NBA. It doesn't have that. It's one of the unique things about soccer. And also, I think that's part of the draw, Tom, of soccer when it comes to the international route of, uh, of playing in the World Cup, in the uh, Olympics, is the fact that that's the first time that we do get to see all those players on the same stage. That's kind of the aura of it compared to we don't really, you know, give a damn about, uh, you know, world basketball uh, when we see those guys every night anyway. That's uh, kind of the, you know, some of the allure of it. But nonetheless, it, it's being talked about. And so with that, there is uh, been discussions, rumblings about, well, what if you did it among college football teams? And uh, the Athletic had an interesting idea. Uh, the example that they put out there was a 15-team uh, situation 
and the 15 teams that they proposed, they were trying to mix, mix things up between representing all regions of the country and still having all the powerhouse brands and programs and revenue makers. And this is the list that the athletic came up with for 15 teams. Alabama, Auburn, Clemson, Florida, Georgia, LSU, Michigan, Nebraska, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Oregon, Penn State, Texas, and USC. Now, it would be exciting. There's a couple things to think about if this were to happen. Uh, would I watch it? Absolutely, I would. Um, but at the end of the day, that kills the value of about a, you know, a hundred different universities playing college football. All of a sudden you don't care about those, the rest of those, and you devalue everybody else by doing that. All the top recruits would only go to those football, you know, those 15 football programs. Now, as far as the chances of this type of thing happening, I don't think this thing would happen, but what I do think, Tom, the most likely scenario, and I actually think this will happen eventually. I don't know if it's happening anytime soon. I do think the Power Five conferences eventually are going to, at least in football anyway, split off from the NCAA and create their own division. I do think that day will come. I think we're going to have five Power 16 conferences, a total of 80 teams, and eventually get to that point. I do think that day will happen. I don't think a 15-team Super League were to happen, but... For all intents and purposes, if it did, um, I would say that a league of about 30 teams is what I would go for. If, uh, if I could be the college football czar that picks out these 30 teams. I'm going to reveal my 30 in just a moment. Tom doesn't know who my 30 are, but we'll, we'll get to them in just a second. And, uh, but Tom, just kind of your thoughts what would you think about just uh, the, the premise of a, a college football version of a, a super league of some sorts? Yeah, wouldn't that be crazy? I, I think if it somehow got to a super league in college football, I, I think that's in a future, if it were to happen, that's in a future where college football players are getting paid. Uh, if you know, I, I, I think that's going to end up happening eventually when we've talked about it on the show before. Um, some form of stipend other than a scholarship, I think, will eventually end up happening. Um, but I, if that were to happen, it would be very interesting who they would put in there and what the stipulations would be to stay in that league. Would it be like would it be like some other leagues, you know, in, in soccer that, you know, where if you finish last place, you swap out with the top team from the league right under you? Um, is that how that would work one season? You know, if you're bottom of the barrel of the right. Super League. And, Are you going to yeah. have regulation uh, and promotion? I think that you would have to do it because that's the uh, yeah. only way you could justify Nebraska being in a 15 team league is well, when Nebraska only wins three games the next year, they're going to get deregulated and Texas A&M is going to jump in. Right. You would have to have that just because, I mean, just for some balance and, you know, that would, that would have to happen. And, and I think it would, but that would be very, very, very interesting uh, to see. I mean, that would shift 
and the crazy thing is is it out of the realm of possibility it's 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 not the hottest take and obviously it's for fun but you know us talking about it it's not the hottest take but would i be shocked no right oh yeah um and it would be very entertaining in fact um are we the first people to talk about it no no the, the, the thing that i would see though this would be my fear of a Super League. Not only, Tom, would you be talking about uh, if you had a Super League in college football hurting all those other programs, but my fear would be then that you essentially become just the NFL college version at that point. If you're going with 15, or even in my case, what I talked about 30 being the right number for a Super League or something like that, how are you any different than the NFL, just younger guys? If the guys – and I'm all for players getting paid, of course, um, but if that's your model and if you're trying to go for everywhere around the country, trying to focus on big markets and like that, uh, at that point you're just – you are exactly an NFL – a college version of the NFL at that point. I mean, yeah. I mean, especially if you had 30 teams or two shy of the NFL already. Uh, I mean, you might as well just, I mean, all the small schools. Might as well call it JV NFL or something. Right. I mean, all all the schools that didn't make it or weren't somewhat prominent to end up making it would immediately lose a lot of their funding and probably die because of it. Right. Now, there, there is one thing, though. The, I think here's the biggest positive that you have. In all of this, I do think that the level of play would actually in a super league be more competitive than it is right now. Here's the thing. Go back to last season. Alabama dominated with flying colors and Nick Saban's won six national championships and every year time. <laughs> For how many years now it's been Alabama or Clemson? Okay, LSU showed up one year. Uh, But for the most part, it's been the same teams. There's enough talent out there to spread among the other teams. Um, Instead of – if your talent pool of five and four-star players are spread among 15 or 30 teams as opposed to 100 teams, you know, 100-plus teams – you're going to have more competitive competition against Alabama and, and those guys too. You're um, you might have a team that finishes four and five, but they weren't really that far off. They're pretty close. Maybe it was the coach, not necessarily their recruits and such. Um, That's what I would look at. I would think the level of play would be better than it is right now, but it would come at the cost of obviously, you know, just killing all those other programs. Yeah, I mean, it would it would immediately go down the. Shit. I mean, uh, I, I'm even reading on some of these that that you know they're they're I guess minutes to the Super League is using different different formulas. One from Sports Illustrated doesn't even have Oklahoma in it. They have tech. They, their their formula for the top twelve teams. They're using twelve here. Michigan, Stanford, USC, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Florida, Wisconsin, Texas, Penn State, Georgia, 
Florida State, Washington. Um, so, I, I mean, it would be, you know, okay, Jones, we bitch all the time about the college football playoff committee. Can you imagine the committee that it would decide a super league that would be, let's say, 15 teams? How I mean, it would essentially, if you don't make, if your team is somewhat decent and you have an, an aspiration to make the Super League and you don't, uh, we're talking complete outrage. Yeah, I don't know necessarily how you would make that work, what kind of, uh, how you would figure out uh, regulation and, you know, and, and deregulation. Super and League committee. Um of who gets promotion and not. But here is the list I came up with. Here's my idea. 30 teams, okay? And I know that sounds like the NFL, but if you're making me come up with a Super League of some sorts, um, I'm doing a 30-team league, and I'm picking from all around the country. And I've I've dissected this in, in a few different ways, Tom. I've looked at programs, historic success and recent success. Athletic department budgets um, and the values of those programs. Um, you know that that to me is like if you're debating Texas A&M and Nebraska, for example. Okay, Texas A&M's had more recent success. They have the number one budget of anyone in the country um, and the best facilities of anybody in the country. Um, that's why I would have Texas A&M over Nebraska if you're doing a 15-team model. Um, you know, I think those factors carry weight. I think your TV markets at that point carry weight too. So here's what I've come up with. Um, if we're going to draft these, okay, uh, my first choice is Alabama is going to go into the league. That's simple enough. They're going to be team one. Notre Dame is going to be team two. USC is going to be team three. Oklahoma is going to be team four and Ohio State's team five. No questions asked. I think everybody feels fine with that being the first five. Um, then you go Miami at six, Michigan at seven, LSU eight, Texas nine, Florida 10. That's my top 10 of who makes it in the Super League first. Um and I don't think there's any controversy in those 10 pretty cut and dry. Where, where was Clemson at? Uh, we're getting to Clemson. We're, we're almost to Clemson. Mm. Okay. Uh, 11, Georgia. 12, Clemson. Okay. Uh, 13, Florida State. Um, 14, Penn State. And now here's where things start to change up a bit. Um 15, Texas A&M, 16, Nebraska, 17, Auburn, um, 18, Virginia Tech, 19, Wisconsin, 20, Michigan State. Okay? So now, now we're getting down to the, the end here. So far, Tom, as, our, as you, you haven't seen my list, is anyone in my top 20? Is anyone in the league yet that doesn't belong, you think? Yes. Mm, if you want to shift them up, mix them around however you would. The one that would be most sus to me, obviously, is on the ass end of it, would be Michigan State. You don't think Michigan State belongs in the, in the Super League of 30 teams? 
I'm excited to see who your last 10 are. All right. Here's the last group of 10. Um, did, uh, did we mention Wisconsin? We did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Iowa. Okay. Oklahoma State. Utah. Washington. West Virginia. Louisville. Baylor. Arkansas. Stanford. That rounds out my top 30. And this is – so West Virginia hmm, – West Virginia, there, there's – West Virginia and Iowa State could be flip-flopped in my opinion. I, would, I think you could – I think you could swap those in your, either way. I think that's a coin flip. I, yeah. don't, I don't know how you – I don't. Did you break it down by Power Five, like a certain number from this conference, a certain number from that conference? No, I, I, I just looked at it regionally. I wanted to get uh, regions represented. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah, I think that's fair then, yeah. My first team out on this list that doesn't make the cut, you say Iowa State, mine was Ole Miss. Hmm. Well, there. What? What about? What if you took the last couple of teams and had a play in for the spot? Um. You know the the premier. You mentioned you want to talk about regulation. You know and, and uh, promotion and all that in the in the Premier League at the very end of the season uh, after the season's concluded, they have. Uh, matches of sorts to decide who uh who gets regulated, regulated and who gets to stay in the league so right maybe after the college football season concludes stanford's playing old miss to see who gets to stay be in the league or arkansas's involved whatever something like that you want to talk about a game that would have i mean that would be just as important as a playoff game Right, essentially, just from I don't I don't know how TV rights and media rights and things would differ from a team that's in in it and not in it. I don't know what the funding and money would be, the cut of the money, anything like that. That would be very interesting. Okay, now you want to talk math? Um, I don't think it's a stretch, Tom, that a thirty-team super league of some sorts would be able to have a TV rights deal that was valued between $1.5 and $2 billion a year. Okay? And that's how much money I think we're talking about here. Divide that among 30 teams, and everybody would be making much more money than they're making in their current conference deals right now. I think that's the type of money that could be floating around out there. Now – you know, the grant of rights for most of these conferences are coming up here pretty soon. Um, you know, we've seen the headlines. People are hearing us talk about it. I mean, it's just a thought. I don't think this is a, a an, an extreme idea. I don't think it will happen, but I, I would guess there's probably some athletic directors out there, Tom, that have at least paused for a second and thought about this, how this could work. Yeah, it would be – I mean, if, if they announced it, how long would it take before it actually went into effect 
what would a vote even look like to even have this happen? How much opposition would it even be met with? Now, here's where you deal with, as it always is in college sports. I think the number one thing that would get in the way of this happening is politicians. Um, remember in conference realignment when, when, you know, 10 plus years ago, when politicians were getting in the way, when they were saying like, hey, if you go to this conference without this school, then we're going to pull funding for your university. Or, you know, we're not going to allow you, we're not going to, you know, as the state government, we're not going to allow you to go to this conference or something like that. I think that's what the ultimate detractor is in a college football super league is, is politicians that would say, let's look at Oklahoma, for example. Um, a guy like, you know, Kevin Stitt. Is Kevin Stitt going to sit there and let Oklahoma State's football program uh, not, uh, you know, you know, continue at that level if they're not let into Super League, but Oklahoma is. That's not going to fly. That's the the uphill battle that you face. The biggest one is is as it always is is with politicians. Oh yeah, it would, and everybody would be fighting for their state's teams. You know, as well. Uh, I mean, it would it would be it would be an ongoing mess. There would probably be lawsuits. I mean, maybe not. Maybe I'm getting too crazy. But I, I think it would be a, a huge – I wouldn't want to be on the committee. Yeah. I'm, I'm I would that, – that, that they would have to be a lot of money involved to deal with all that. I guarantee you there are people so passionate about college football. If your team didn't make the Super, Super League or whatever have you, there would be death threats over it. I guarantee it. Oh, man. Could you imagine just uh, all the stuff that would break out over this? I do, Jones. We would have to have a full, full show dedicated just to the creation of uh, of Super League. If this if this was actually to go down, it would be such a show that we would the show would be like ten hours long a week. Right, we'd be like, "What is going on here? We don't understand this." Round the clock coverage here. Right. Yes, coverage you can count on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it would be bizarre if uh, this day ever came. But I do think the idea of four or of uh, five 16-team conferences is the more re realistic option. I, I think that we're going to see a day, as crazy as this sounds, Tom, where Notre Dame is actually going to be forced to join a conference. This past year, when no one would want to play them, because of the pandemic and no one wanted to play non-conference opponents, they jumped right into the arms of the ACC and the ACC gladly welcomed them and they made that work. I think something like this, um, you know, in the future, the day that we see, you know, five 16 team super conferences, I think Notre Dame eventually joins the ACC or the big 10 and, you know, the big 12 tries to recruit, uh, maybe a, a UCF or, or uh, you know, a BYU of some sorts. And, you know, the Pac-12, you know, goes and adds four more teams. Maybe Boise State's part of the equation or something like that. That's the future. This is all fun. But the future, I think that line is four sixteen is a five sixteen team super conference. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think it's going to come to that eventually. And I, I think the teams – 
on the outside looking in or, you know, the, the kid last to be picked in the dodgeball game, it's going to be a scramble to find, you know, where you fit in. It's going to be like, it's going to be like a game of fucking duck, duck, goose. <laughs> you, you played a lot of duck, duck, goose in your day? No, I haven't. But if I was a, a smaller school, I would be looking to find my chair. Um, I would say too, Tom, if you want to talk about, you know, as far as, uh, uh, having the backing to make a move of some sorts, um, I would much rather be a public school than I would be a private school in, in these things because, you know, the public schools, you know, they're, they're going to have that backing of the politicians politicking forum and trying to you know, make sure their school's in the best position possible. These private schools don't have that, uh, that same way. Uh, you know, you, you, there are some great private schools out there, but think about like, okay, let's say in the Super League debate, I mentioned I would have Baylor in there, but, you know, the state of Texas, what if UT says, because they're forced to by their leaders, we want Texas Tech to come with us? And we're only going to do it if Texas Tech comes and Baylor gets pushed out. Uh, that's the type of politicking that could get involved in something like this, where if you're a public school, you're probably in better shape than you are a private school to get in something like that. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah. As far as Baylor goes and in the other private schools, you know, it's going to be or I say it's going to be. It, I guess I could say it's going to be because we're going to get to that point. It's uh, we're going to get to some form. I wouldn't call it a full blown out super league. Maybe, maybe in a few generations from now, who knows, but just in a, in a timeline where it's like, okay, we're going to get to this point somewhat where it's going to be a scramble. And, and I think you're right as far, far as the politicking goes that the public schools are going to have a little bit of an upper hand. So it's going to be interesting to see if, if the private schools are, well, you know, I don't know what would you would call it start early on playing their hand. Uh, you know, it's going to take a little bit of a foresight from some of these schools to figure out where they're going to go. Yeah. Uh, some schools are going to have to plan a lot more than others. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right about that. So something to think about. Uh, certainly a lot of fun to talk about, that's for sure. We're going to bring in Benjamin Albright, talk NFL draft with him. Also coming up later on the show, Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group and our Tom Fullery Story of the Week as well. All that and more as we continue. Stay with us here in the Jones Report. Join us now on the Jones Report this week. It is Benjamin Albright, NFL Draft Insider. We always love bringing him in this time of year. And Ben, I know this is always exciting for you, man, uh, getting down to the NFL Draft. What are you most looking forward to when uh, the names are finally called here? Uh, I think, you know, just putting another one in the books, to be honest with you. Um, I, you know, I get kind of excited and excited to see it all play out and see, you know, how, how accurate or not accurate the Intel is and, and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So for me, it's really just about uh, the culmination of everything rather than anything specific. Uh, let's start out with uh, the guy that we all believe will be the number one pick Trevor Lawrence uh, to the Jacksonville Jaguars there. Uh, 
with Trevor Lawrence, how does he compare, historically speaking, to some of those number one pick quarterbacks that we've looked at? Uh, he's obviously the clear number one in this class, but where does he compare as to some of the other prospects we've seen at that number one pick level? Well, I don't know. I think he's his own guy. Certainly, uh, you know, something a little bit of a different look. I, I think I'm I'm a little bit concerned about his frame. You know, you talk about a guy that's six six two thirteen. It's a that's a body of a high school small forward, not necessarily the body of a quarterback. So he'll have to do some weightlifting and, and put on some weight there at the pro level for all the hits that he takes. But you know, I I, I think that uh, in terms of who he is as a player, you know, he's a he's a smart cerebral player who's got athleticism can throw can throw on the move uh you know he, he's got quick eyes I, I think he's a good prospect um i don't think everybody not everybody had him at the top of their board i think that there are a couple of teams that had zach wilson number one um you know on their boards but but overall i think uh you know jacksonville was pretty obvious about it or meyer was pretty obvious about it and kind of interested to see how he works in that system yeah, certainly so. And uh, you got Urban Meyer coming in uh, there to Jacksonville. What do you think of the idea of Perrin Meyer and uh, Trevor Lawrence together there? Well, I think you're a natural fit. I'm just kind of curious to see exactly what Urban's going to adopt from, you know, his collegiate days to the NFL. A lot of, a lot of the Urban Meyer offense was predicated on uh, utilizing the wider hashes, creating space to the wide side of the field and allowing uh, better athletes to, you know, to kind of create in space. And, you know, you get two problems with that in the NFL. Narrower hashes means there is not, not such a, a wide of the field. Uh, and then, you know, everybody in the NFL is super athletic, you know, nobody's going on to become a future insurance salesman. So, um, you know, I, I, it's going to be interesting to see exactly how he adapts and adopts his offense for the NFL, but I'm, you know, I'm always excited to see innovation. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. When you look at the rest of the quarterbacks in this class, how do you rank it after Trevor Lawrence there? Well, like I said, some people have Zach Wilson, number one. So, um, you know, I guess it just depends on, on how you look at that. Um, I, th I think it really comes down to, you know, different styles and different preferences after that. There are people that are very high on Mac Jones and think that he's uh, uh, one of the smarter quarterbacks in this draft. Um, there are people that are higher on guys like Trey Lance and, you know, and Justin Fields, better athletes. Now, Lance is, is honestly, according to a lot of people I've talked to, this considered one of the smartest quarterbacks in this draft, too. Problem is, he's really raw. You know, he hasn't played in a while except for that one game, uh, you know, recently. Doesn't have a whole lot of experience post-high school and certainly not at a, uh, at a high level, um, you know, at the FCS. So, you know, that, that's kind of a, it's kind of a question mark. And then Justin Fields, you know, he, he holds the ball a long time. Uh, part of that's a product of uh, the superior, you know, athletes and protection that they have at Ohio state. Part of that's a design of the offense, all the deep developing vertical routes, but um, you know, vertical option routes, but I, you know, it's, it's, um, uh, it, it really is, I think, dealer's choice. It just kind of depends on what you're looking for and what you're after. And I think there's there's options for everybody. I, I think four of the five for sure are going to go in the top ten, and you could see five out of five quarterbacks going in the top ten of this draft. So it's uh, it has the potential to be, uh, you know, an, an all-offense first ten picks almost. So with that being said, the way that you're evaluating these quarterbacks and looking at them, Ben, do you think these guys are first true first round grades or is it more so the the need for these teams of getting a young quarterback? What is it? Are, are these guys true first round quality guys or or is it or is it the need? I think it's the need. The need pushes quarterbacks up well before they should be drafted. I mean, you can go back and look historically and you'll find a, you'll find uh, air quotes, deep quarterback classes where guys were drafted where they shouldn't have been. You go back to 2012 where, you know, you had Cam Newton going number one. And then, you know, right after that, 
You had, uh, uh, you know, guys like uh, Blaine Gabbert and Christian Ponder and Jake Locker all go in the top 12. Uh, none of those guys should have gone there. And, and, you know, there's some, there's going to be a couple of guys out of this class that bust. I, you know, I statistically speaking uh, out of these first five, one or two of them will hit the rest of them won't be that good. And it's kind of funny to watch, um, you know, watch everybody just rant and rave that all these guys are going to be great in the NFL. I, I, I don't believe that. Um, and, you know, everybody's got differing opinions on which ones are going to be which. Now, do you, do you think that's a byproduct of this rookie wage scale? It seems like, you know, what was it, a, a decade plus ago, we were talking about the, the big contracts Stafford and Bradford and Jamarcus Russell got. Now we've completely done a 180 and are overvaluing these guys and are getting picked way too high and taking advantage of the rookie wage scale. Do you think that it's gotten out of control? Should these rookies get paid a little bit more to kind of balance things out? Well, that's something that will have to be collectively bargained, and I doubt it's something that ever will be, simply because the veterans are the ones doing the voting while the rookies aren't even in the league. So, um, you know, I, I don't think that you're going to see that anytime soon. That said, um, you know, teams are trying to look at that as a analytical advantage. You know, if we can uh, if we can keep the most expensive position the cheapest early, we might be able to stack a team around him and you know build a competitive roster and maybe get a couple of Super Bowls. So, I, I just think the teams are trying to to do what they can. There's no right way to win it. And if you go back and look, I mean, there's been plenty of uh, quarterbacks that, that have wanted on uh, you know on veteran salaries rather than the rookie rate, wage scale. So, you know, I, I don't think that that's the the path to glory. I just think. Some teams are looking at it as an easier way to do things. Sure, sure. Benjamin Albright joining us here on the Jones Report this week as we talk NFL draft. Ben, uh, let, let me ask you about skill position players. Uh, who stands out to you? Who do you like among those skill position spots? Well, Kyle Pitts is the is the best of the best out of all of them. He's he's clear, you know, clearly the best skill position player in this draft. Um, and then, you know, classifying him as a tight end, I think does him a bit of a disservice because he's more like Jimmy Graham and that he could play kind of that, that off the line, split out wide, why kind of thing and, and, and do whatever needs to be done. Um, and he's just, you know, he's so good. I mean, his athletic profile and his size are, uh, similar to, to hall of fame type players. So, um, you know, I think, uh, I think you can't go wrong with him. There's, there's some people that have these, these receivers ranked differently, um, you know, like there's people that have Jamar Chase at the top. There's people that have Devontae Smith at the top. There's people that like uh, Waddle. Um, you know, I think it's really just kind of what skill set are you looking for? Uh, Chase is a guy that was, you know, maybe maybe not as fast as his 40 time. You know, doesn't play as fast as his 40 time. More of a long strider. He's not as fast in and out of his breaks. Uh, or a guy like Devonta Smith is more like Deshaun Jackson. You know, a guy who's a multi-tool player, you know, a little faster, a little quicker, but doesn't quite have the size. So, you know, I think, uh, I, I, like I said, I think it's a mixed bag. I think you just kind of what you're looking for. I have the beholder type situation. And, um, you know, that that's probably how you have them ranked. So uh, you, you mentioned Pitts and, you know, looking at him as uh, a tight end, if you want to call him that, whatever it may be. Um, tight ends historically have been underdrafted when you look at where, you know, Gronk and Travis Kelsey and some of those other guys were uh, picked. Are teams looking at Pitts and finally seeing the value of the tight end here? Did did it finally click here? What what? Why do you think that we've seen tight ends kind of underdrafted like this uh, prior to what we're about to see with Pitts? Oh, I think people didn't want to invest that much money in a position that, that typically doesn't 
you know, put up huge numbers. Um, and I think that's, I think that's a part of it. I think they have, you know, the, the monetary cap number that they've assigned to that position, that position group has often uh, led to maybe some poorer decisions with that, or maybe a cap allocation issue um, has led to poor decisions with that thinking that, you know, we'll draft this guy later since we can get him later. Um, so, you know, I, until people start drafting tight ends early and, and they're productive, I don't think that, you know, I think that teams can look at that philosophy and say, well, we can get the guy later. Why don't we draft him later and go from there? Um, you know, with, with Pitts, I, I think, again, you got you to gotta kind of look at that classification. Is he really just a tight end or is he he's kind of a multidimensional weapon um, that, that fits in the mold of, a you know, a Vernon Davis or, a, you know, a Calvin Johnson athletically uh, with his size? And so, you know, I think that I, I think you have to make that assertion for yourself and say, OK, what kind of player are we get here and uh, and then go from there. So, Ben, uh, when it comes down to that receiver position, uh, whether it's Jamar Chase or Devonta Smith, who do you like better than? Well, again, I, you know, I think it's in the eye of the beholder. Um, if you need a guy who plays on the outside, I think, you know, Jamar Chase is probably the first guy you look at. He's got the requisite size. Um, you know, he's a guy that uh, doesn't play as fast as his 40 time, but, um, you know, and I, I have questions about what he was able to do, uh, what he would be able to do without a true number one opposite him. You know, you look at Jefferson, the coverage he was able to take away and the, the success he's had in the pros, um, you know, that, that got Chase some more favorable matchups the last time he played. So, you know, got some questions there. And then you look over at Smith, uh, a little bit different mold of player. Uh, if you need somebody who can kind of line up in the slot or move around, um, he's probably your guy. He's also can return punts and kicks and you know, I think he's plays a lot faster than Chase did personally. So, uh, but he's got size limitations. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a six of one half dozen of the other in a lot of ways. Uh, what about a running back wise? Uh, how do you rate that position? Uh, who, who are the guys that, that stand out to you there? Well, uh, you know, I think Najee Harris to me is the best, best back in this class. I know there's some people that like Travis at the end a little better. I, I like, you know, Najee Harris, um, you know, I think those are probably one A, one B. Um, you know, I have a I have a type when it comes to running personally. You know, I'm a big fan of guys like Ramondre Stevenson. You know, mm -hmm. uh, who may go a little bit later. The, both those running backs out of North Carolina are going to be going. You know, going to be day two. Uh, uh, Gainwell. You know, you've got you got uh, you got plenty of guys in this draft be gone uh, by the end two, but you can find value on day three as well. So, you know, I, I think if you're looking for a running you know, you could see, you could see too. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, last one on offense, then we'll move on to defense. The, uh, the offensive line there, I uh, know teams like the chiefs, uh, for example, certainly need the offensive line help. We'll be looking to, uh, to find some guys there. What do you make of this offensive line group? Is there uh, is there some depth in uh, this draft at, at those uh, O-line positions? I think so, especially if you're looking for, you know, kind of tweener guard tackle types. Um, there, there, you know, there's a lot of guys I think in this class are pretty good. I, it's weird to me to get guys that uh, everybody's talking about Penny Sewell, and I'm not sure the league has him rated quite as as, as maybe the median fans do. Um, you know, in fact, he may not even be the first offensive lineman off the board. It might be Rashawn Slater, but, um, you know, I, I, there's, there's plenty. Plenty of guys in this class that I think uh, that I think are going to have great careers. Leatherwood's one, uh, Slater, uh, and those guys are kind of that tweener. You know, play the right tackle, maybe 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 better at guard, but you know can kind of do both. Um, you know, there's uh, there's just a lot of offensive line. It's it's kind of the opposite of interior defensive line in this class. Where this might be a historically bad interior defensive line class. Um, you know, the offensive line class is uh, it has a lot of talent to it. I think you can find value well well into day two and day three. And some of these guys that people are mocking a little higher, 
uh, gonna, you know, gonna fall just based on the, the availability of these. So, uh, you get the kid out of Oklahoma state who, you know, I think uh, people are mocking, you know, mid first round. I think you go late first, early second, just because there's such a volume of availability at the position. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tevin Jenkins, uh, you're referring to there. And, and uh, I, I was hearing, uh, Chris Sims the other day say something effective that, uh, he hasn't been involved in a run game enough. I'm like, Oklahoma State ran the ball uh, more than Alabama did last year. So, I mean, the, the experience right. I feel for a guy like that's there. Maybe a place like Kansas City or something would be a good fit potentially to, to get him on that offensive line. Uh, now, when it comes to defense, let's let's start out with that defensive line. You mentioned a down year for the defensive line uh, for, for guys there. Of the ones that are, are available, though, who do you like, though? Well, I mean, you get the kid from Alabama who's, who's obviously going to go round one. But after that, you're, you know, you're really starting to struggle. You got two or three guys after that that I think, uh, you know, I think might have a chance at being something in the league. They'll get drafted earlier than they should just based on the size and the need and everything else. But, uh, you know, it, it, I'm, there's three or four guys in this class, you know, and it's, that's really not um, – that's not what you want when you're looking at uh, uh, when you're especially defensive tackle, you know, where there's a dearth of big bodies that can stay healthy all the time like that. So, uh, you know, it, it's going to be tough if you're looking for it, if you're not getting, uh, um, you know, Barmore, uh, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be rough um, if you really need a defensive tackle in this class. Yeah, sure. Sure. A linebacker position uh, who stands out there. Well, I guess it depends. If you're looking along the edge, you know, there's there's quite a few players. Um, I think it's a pretty deep edge class. I'm a little higher on Joe Tryon out of Washington than a lot of people are. You get the kid out of Georgia, um, Laurie. You get, um, you know, Owe out of Penn State who tested off the charts, but, you know, the productivity profile doesn't match. Um, Jalen Phillips, who looks like an all-world prospect, except for the fact that he had to retire due to concussions once. So, um, you know, I think that uh, everybody's got their kind of got their flag, but there's a there's kind of a dealer's choice there at the edge. And then you look at some of the other linebackers. You know, I, uh, people talk about Michael Parsons, and they, they kind of make him a Mike. I, I think he's a better fit as a will linebacker personally, and you know, but that's just me. Um, you know, and then you got uh, some other guys out there. I think Zayvon Collins is a guy I'm I'm really high on. Baron Browning, uh, Jamin Davis. You know, there's there's some talent there at those inside backer positions. I think that uh, um, that make this class uh, you know kind of worthwhile. I don't know if there's going to be talent there on day three, but day one, day two's got uh, got enough to make this class worthwhile. Yeah. What What about the uh, secondary spots? Uh, how's that looking there? Well, I think, you know, there's, there's some good corners. I think uh, Horn and Sertan are the class of the, you know, the, the group of the class, the head of the class. And, you know, a lot of people like Farley. I'm not as big on him. He's got some medicals. Uh, and then you get down there, you got some guys that you can uh, you can make do with. Melifon, who's got some length, he'd be, he'd be great in a cover three system. Um, you know, I, I think uh, uh, you get some of the uh, kids, uh, you know, other guys, Asani Samuel Jr. down the line, Eric Stokes, those are guys I think that could be, could be some in the league as well. Um, Newsome. There's uh, another one, and then the safety class. You got you got a couple of guys there at the top. I think you know Morgan, and Richie Grant, uh, and then Holland. You know, I think that are that are starting caliber guys. And then you got some dice rolls a little later on. Uh, Andre Cisco, you know, out of Syracuse. He's a ball hawk, but he's really raw. Uh, if you could get him out there, get him the reps, he might turn into something. Okay, okay. So now I want to transition and talk. Uh, when looking at teams and such, when you look at this draft, what teams do you think? are in a position where they need this draft to, to get them over that edge, to get that player or two on that roster. Who do you think has the most to gain in that sense from this draft? 
Well, a team that really needs to knock it out of the park, I think, is Chicago. You know, you've got a general manager and a head coach that are on a red-hot seat. So, you know, I think that's probably the team that needs it more than anything. Uh, you might throw Arizona and their staff into into that. I don't know what the general manager is, but that, that head coach hasn't exactly been uh, uh, panned out. And the fact that, he, you know, the offense that he was going to bring to the league got outshone by the defense last year, I think, is a problem. So you could see, you know, you could see Arizona take some swings for the fences in this draft. Um, yeah, I, I think those are the two for me personally that really really need to hit it at the bar for to keep their jobs yeah and uh what, what about teams being aggressive uh who do you think's most likely to to take some chances uh make some moves with some trades and such well i think those teams if they you know you need to get your guy you got to be aggressive for it right um you know you might see some aggression for quarterbacks um you know, you might see New England uh, try to get aggressive for a quarterback if the right guy kind of falls, starts falling in the the you know the black half of those uh, the back half of those uh, first ten picks. Um, you know, you could see a Washington move up for a quarterback if uh, you know they get within striking distance. And you know, we already talked about Chicago, so I think those are some teams. Um, you might see Pittsburgh and Miami jockeying a little. I know both of them like Najee Harris, so um, you know you might see them jockeying a little bit, trying to get ahead of one another. Okay, all right. Um... Now, uh, with, with the teams up top last year, you know, we, we saw, of course, Super Bowl with the Chiefs and Bucks, Packers and Bills making the AFC champion, you know, making their conference championship games. Um, tell me about the, the teams up top. Uh, who, who do you expect to, to potentially, uh, you know, make, make a big push uh, to, to see an impact uh, right away? Who, who of those teams is looking at, do you think, good uh, – uh, looking for that one player of sorts that that they're looking for. Well, I think we already I think we already mentioned them. I, I think you know if you're Arizona or Chicago and you've got a player, you got to go up and get them. Uh, New England potentially again. Uh, you know, if a quarterback falls into that spot, I I don't think there's any of these other teams. You know, you could see Atlanta move back. Um, their their ownership knows their salary cap situation requires that they get more rookies and, and get rid of some of these high priced veterans where they can. But I think they like Pitts and kind of want to stay at four. They may may even be in the market for a quarterback. So. Um, you know, I, I think if you're moving up, it's going to be tough. There's not really a spot to move up to until about seven, I think, uh, for sure. And then, you know, you got to hope that your guy is there at seven. And if you're moving back from seven, if you're the Lions, you got to make sure your guy's going to be there when you go backwards. So uh, I, I don't know if there's a lot of, you know, move up spots other than what we've already uh, what we've already suggested. Let, let me rephrase what I'm saying then. Uh, with with those teams that were in the conference championship games last year, who, who needs to uh, make – the most moves here in, uh, in theory, who has, uh, you know, a roster with the most holes, essentially you think of, of those teams that were there at the very end last year. Well, I don't think any of them have any holes. I mean, a green Bay probably needs to put more around Aaron Rodgers. Um, but you know, they make a championship cause you got a good team. I mean, Tampa basically brought their whole team back and they won the super bowl. Kansas city, um, basically brought their whole team back. Uh, and they were, they were injured. Now the offensive line they made some changes and they're, they're going to have to you know get that going. But Andy Reid's always been good with that kind of thing with offensive lines. So I'm not worried about that. Um, Buffalo kept kept most of their team together and made made a few ads. Uh, so I don't you know I, as far as those four teams, I don't think that there's really anybody that uh, that leaps out at me as a team that you know um, needs to do a whole lot. I would say Green Bay probably has the most, and it probably has the most to do with surrounding Aaron Rodgers with a little bit better talent. Now, the, the team you cover, the Denver Broncos, uh, what, what's going to be their draft strategy? What are they looking for there in Denver? 
I think they're letting the draft come to them. Um, they've, you know, they've got some some things they need to do, but I think they're letting the draft come to them. I know a lot of people pegged them for a, for a quarterback, but I, I wouldn't be 100% on that. I think if the right quarterback fell to them, they'd, they'd be interested, but I don't think that they're – right now, I don't think they're trading up. Um, you know, I, it's, it's possible it could be Rashawn Slater, an offensive lineman. You know, you could see a trade back, and they, they you know, they could be in the mix for Najee Harris. They could be in the mix for an edge rusher, a safety. Um, I, I think they're, they're more or less wanting to let the draft come to them and kind of build assets for the future because they've got a good young core to work around. Now, of that AFC West there, uh, with, with the Chiefs coming off back-to-back Bowl appearances, and, and that division just fascinates me. Of, of those other three teams trying to build something, who's in the best shape to compete in the future uh, against Kansas City. Who, who's doing the best job right now heading into this draft, those other three teams? Then? Well, you know, I don't know. I, I think that, you know, if you look at the Raiders, they put the offense together but can't seem to get the defense right. Uh, you look at the Chargers, they can't seem to stay not injured. Um, and, and then you look at the Broncos, they, they've got a good young core that they're, they're – they're, probably consistent quarterback play away, whether that's Drew Locke getting consistent or another guy. So uh, I don't think anybody's competing with Kansas City in that regard, but I think that, you know, one of these teams could definitely be a wild card team and then make some noise in the playoffs. So, um, you know, I'd say Denver's position if they can get the quarterback position right. Um, I like what the Chargers, um, you know, have kind of done turning things over from the Phil Rivers era and Anthony Lynn era, but, you know, I don't, I don't know that they're ready to go with, with what they're uh, trying to do right now. Fair, fair enough. Uh, let me ask you, you know, we, we've seen COVID's effects on everybody one way or the other, right? When it comes to this draft a, a year later, obviously last year we had that uh, draft where everything was virtual, and now a whole year of evaluating talent under these circumstances. Uh, for, for someone like you and for the talent evaluators, how different was this year to uh, try to scout guys and look at talent as opposed to previous years? <laughs> Well, it's rough. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's tough when you, you don't have access to all the medical information. You're not able to swap information because you're not able to be around each other as much. So it's, it's definitely a lot tougher to get information this year. And it's been the same for teams. You know, teams have been reaching out, trying to swap info a little bit more because, you know, they can't get it as much. So it's just uh, it's been an interesting year. I can't wait for everything to go back to the way it was. Yeah, I feel you. And uh, with that being said, you think this allows for more guys to slip through the cracks that we're going to see maybe in this class, more late round guys that turn out to be better than what, what people thought. Well, you're certainly going to see medical guys fall. Um, and that's going to, that's going to open that up to guys who aren't as, as bad as maybe you think, um, you know, like we talked about Jalen Phillips a little bit earlier. If uh, you know, if he really is good to go, then that might, that certainly might help him out a little bit, but um, yeah, you're going to see medical guys fall in this draft a little bit more. And some guys you wouldn't think would fall just because they have medicals on them. So, you know, I think that's, I think that's the thing to kind of keep an eye on. All right. We'll look forward to it, Ben. Uh, where can people follow uh, all your draft coverage and stuff you're doing there in Denver, Ben? Uh, well, you can listen live on uh, KOA and, uh, you know, AM 850 across the country. And then uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Albright NFL. I wouldn't. It's uh, it's a terrible follow, but if you have to, I'm right there. <laughs> Appreciate the time as always. Thanks for joining us, Ben. Absolutely. Take care. Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisor Group. Check them out online, oagks.com, o'connoradvisorgroup.com. You can also reach out to Bo at 785-8506-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. Also on Facebook 
at facebook.com forward slash O'Connor Advisor Group. Coach Bo, Ron O'Connor joins us right now. Bo, appreciate the time as always. Tell us uh, what's going on at O'Connor Advisor Group this week, man. You guys are getting closer to that grand opening here. Yeah, I'm in the office right now, and uh, we're moving in this week. And uh, a lot to do getting moved in, but uh, we're getting it done. We should be ready. We're going to have our first client in here, I think, on Friday. And then we'll have a couple of a bunch of stuff next week. So, uh, but man, it's exciting to be back, you know, out of the basement. I've been in the basement at the house for the last <laughs> year. So uh, that's nice. And uh, yeah, so it's cool to be back in the real office with real people and all that good stuff. <laughs> that's great to see. Glad uh, things are going well for you, Bo. Bo, we got uh, plenty to discuss in uh, this week's football fix. And where I want to start is in the NFL with the rule changes that were put in place uh, affecting instant replay and a few other things as well. Bo, how different will football look in uh, 2021 as opposed to what we saw last year? I don't know that it's going to look a whole lot different. We got some new rules in here. Uh, we got the new onside kick rule where they're going to make to where players, uh, they have to, the receiving team can only have nine players within 25 yards of the kick. Um, that'll be a little easier for the, kick, the kicking team to try it. But um, I don't know that it'll be a whole lot different. The big rule change was, um, oh, the communication. So the uh, we've got the um, the booth now, the, the, the replay uh, director, whoever it is in the booth, can now talk to the uh, official. So that way they can communicate and say, hey, here's what's going on. And if it's something that's obvious on TV or obvious from the feeds they've seen, then they can pass that information to the officials. Um, that's, I, I think it's going to eliminate some really poor stuff that we've seen in the past. Like there's a few times a year where we see really, really bad calls that don't get overturned. I think we'll see a little less of that, but that's about it. I don't see, I think the biggest change is going to be really be the uh, onside kick roll. And uh, tell us about that. What's the details on the onside kick? On the onside kick rule, they've said that what's going to happen is, like I said, the receiving team, uh, it could be like you, you would see teams would do an onside kick and you would have the receiving team would line everybody up within 10 or 15 yards. Well, now they're going to be limited to where, let me get this number right, nine players. Let me get the number. I want to make sure I'm exactly right. It'll be limited to nine players within 25 yards of the ball. So they kick off from the, what, the, the 30. So you can't have nine players in front of the 45-yard line. Hmm. Okay, so that is it the thirty kickoff from? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. So the forty-five yard, the opposing forty-five yard line. So you can't just stack everybody up at the fifty, or between the the receiving or the kicking team's forty or the other fifty forty-five. Yeah. And you can't stack all eleven of them up there now. You have to have two back. So. Okay. So your I, chances increase uh, a bit on converting an onside kick. Yeah, and, there was only three converted onside kicks last year. Only three, what I see, three of 67 because of the way they do it now. With Because you can't go and sledge through it like you used to be able to do. 
Right. You can't load up 10 guys on one side. Well, it's not even that. It's that what you used to be able to see was you'd see you had your six guys to one side or seven guys to one side, and you'd see three or four together. You had two guys. Their job was to knock two of the receiving players out of the way so that the other player would have – so that the receiving – the kicking team would have a player just going for the ball. And you can't do that. That that law was – that rule was outlawed. So now you can't do that. It's made it to where now you've really got 11 players trying to receive the ball. You can't build walls. Okay. And so it, it, it made it really hard to do onside kicks. That's why you only had three last year. And what was that little whirling thing that the Falcons pulled off? Right. the Cowboys. How about them Cowboys? Yes. How about them Cowboys indeed? And then uh, now we see jerseys are going to change a bit too. We're going to see – uh, running backs and position players be allowed to wear single digits and uh, a few other things like that. I mean, that that's more so, I think, has to do with what you see in college football of that these guys do that and they do it in high school, but then they don't get to keep their number when they turn pro. That, that, that makes sense. Uh, I mean, I, I go back, this should have been done a long time ago. I think of a guy that played for the Saints, Drew uh, uh, Reggie Bush, didn't get to wear number five. Everyone – knew him as number five from his time at USC and he yeah. had to put on a two, put on that 25 there. This should have happened a long time ago. Yeah. It's, you know, they've always had kind of, you know, the receivers in the backs are certain numbers and the you know, linebackers are certain numbers and linemen are certain numbers. I do think you still have to have linemen separate from receivers with eligible receivers, but I think it's silly that like a running back can't wear a single digit number. That, you brought up the perfect example. Reggie Bush back in the day was number five. He was known as number five. He goes to the NFL and scores 25. Um, you know, or maybe if someone wants to be an homage, maybe it's a player who's a running back or a, a wide receiver and they wear number one in college. Yeah, they want to wear number one in the NFL. Well, there's not nine quarterbacks and kickers on the team. So why do you have to have only quarterbacks and kickers with those, with those single digits? So I think as long as you're not trying to disguise – ineligible players as eligible players and vice versa. I don't see any issue with the rule. This is something that's kind of overdue in my view. Okay. All right. So there you have it. That's kind of how the rules look at uh, this point uh, with what we're seeing in uh, 2021. Now I'll, I'll wrap up on this note with, with the rules bow. And you know, this, this is an open-ended question. There's a lot of ways you can go with this, but is there a rule that you would like to see in the future that's not in place right now. What is it? If you could make one change, what would it be and why? Oh, wow. I got to think about this for a second here. Um, man. A couple things that come off the top of my head here. I would expand replay. Probably not the best idea, but I would expand replay. And so I'd make sure we get it right. Um, you know what I mean? I mean, we've talked about it before. It's either expand it to make sure you get it right or get rid of it completely um kind of rule change mm. tough question i guess yes yeah i God, i'm trying to think of what rule like i i mean i don't think i'd change holding calls i don't think i would change um i Man, you, that's a really good question, Tyler. I don't know what one rule I would change. Um, 
I would go. Here's what I would do. I would go. Let's see this stuff. I would go to the XFL format on kickoffs. Okay, I like that. Okay, so there's a couple things in the kickoff thing then, or on the XFL rules. I, I like the one, two, and three on the extra points. Yeah, that was yeah. crazy. That's great. I think something. I think if you're gonna do something, do something creative. That would be kind of cool. Um, you know, you'd only go for three if it was like late, late in the game. You're trying to get back into the game, right? Um, I would do something with a punt. I'm trying to think of how I want to do this. I'd probably do no fair catches. Okay. You just let guys get rocked in the head, you know? Okay. Yeah. I, I well, you know what? They got so many rules that protect these guys that you're not gonna be able to just barrel into somebody now if you do that. No, I know what it is in the NFL. I know exactly what it is. The one rule I would kill, I would kill the penalty for the head, the hand to the head of the quarterback. Okay. That's the one I'd kill. That is such bullshit. Whether you are a Chiefs fan, a Patriots fan, a Saints fan, anybody, it doesn't matter who you are. That rule is enforced where only four or five quarterbacks get that call. Right. If you breathe on Patrick Mahomes or your fingernail touches Patrick Mahomes, it's a 15-yard penalty. Yeah, I, I would I change like, the contact rules. On that. I don't like the special treatment for the quarterback position. Uh, That's what I mean. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Why should I be allowed to do that to a running back, but I can't do that to a quarterback? And it, it hurts defensive players because if you notice, a lot of times they call that penalty. I don't know what the statistics would be on this. I'd love to see it. You see guys who are putting their hands up because they're trying to drop, they're trying to block a pass. Right. Or they are trying to make a move on an offensive lineman, trying to get over or get around or get through somebody, and they inadvertently hit the quarterback. That right. should not be a 15-yard penalty. That's a bailout. Yeah. And we've seen that happen. And the, the better quarterbacks tend to get that call, whether you're Mahomes or Brady or Breeze, those guys tend to get those calls, and that's a little annoying. So I – I mean, make a team earn a first down. Sure, sure. All right. Uh, let me ask you about Alex Smith. He announced his retirement this week uh, after 16 seasons in the NFL. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you could go with looking back at Alex Smith's career. And, you know, there, there was plenty of ups and downs throughout this time. But three-time Pro Bowler, NFL Comeback Player of the Year, uh, you know, took over that the Chiefs franchise when they were two and 14 turned them into a playoff team almost every year. Uh, San Francisco, the, the start was rough, but then when Jim Harbaugh showed up, all of a sudden they were winning a lot more, went to the NFC championship game and, and, uh, and such. I mean, uh, even in Washington this past year, he, he comes in and takes the football team to the playoffs and such here. I mean, th this guy, uh, Bo, I, I, I loved Alex in Kansas city. You know, he, he carried himself, so well, uh, appreciate him with the utmost respect, great leader on and off the field. Um, I don't know if he necessarily, he didn't live up to that number one pick. I mean, he wasn't better than Aaron Rodgers, not even close, obviously, but still a, a solid career. I mean, there, there's a lot of positives uh, to look back on Alex Smith's time in the league. All right. So I, I was never the biggest Alex Smith fan. Um, 
I, I mean, obviously the they got it wrong. They could have picked Aaron Rodgers, but I'm not gonna hold that against anybody because that was a weird draft day. I remember that day. Um, you know, he kind of he's always always just a class act. I mean, even when they when he was not playing well, and he got destroyed for a while here in Kansas City with how he was not a really a franchise guy. He was just kind of okay. You know, he's an average to good quarterback. Um, you know, so he got destroyed, but he always held out the class. And then he had the horrific injury. And you, your mind, even if you're like me, someone who really wasn't a big fan of his, you can't help but go, wow, you know, congrats on getting back. It's great that he got to get back on the field. Uh, it's a great story. We like to see any kind of personal thing like that happen. You want to see somebody be able to complete a goal like that. And to be able to come back, that's pretty cool. Having said that, I was never a big fan of his. Um, I, I used to call him Captain Checkdown. He was afraid to throw the ball down the field. He always checked down to his running backs. Um, he was a guy who could not win a big game for you. Um, he was an average to good quarterback. I mean, he wasn't great. If he was a starting quarterback today in his prime, he would be in the middle. He's an average NFL quarterback. Great story at the end. Class act, but, you know, and good for him. He made a bunch of money. And I hope he and his family for generations are set up. I'm not trying to criticize the man. The man is obviously a good man. We've seen a lot of good things he's done here in this community in Kansas City. You know, you've heard stories all throughout his career. I, I, at times, he got a little bit of a, of a rap. I think it was somewhat earned by his play. But some of his play was, again, just kind of the nature of his play. A lot of checkdowns, a lot of throwing the ball away. Not real sexy stuff, you know. So I'm happy that he got to go out the way he went out by getting back on the field. Um, so great for him, great career. And and I don't want to be critical, hypercritical of the man. That's not one of my intentions. Is. Sure. But uh, great career and, and good for him. I I tend to also leave that stuff out. Not being a great number one pick alone, I'm technically that alone. You know, it's unfair to have judged his career against Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. You know, so I that's an unfair criticism to me. I, I think that you know he had a he had a really good NFL career and a really really good player. I look back with with Alex Smith Bowl. Um, you know, of the three teams that he was with of his career, I think that that Chiefs time is probably the most notable in the sense of you know that uh, you look at taking that team that went two and fourteen to be ten and six the next year when that franchise was just awful before he and Andy Reid showed up and, you know, to have the, the last year he did when he had won 26 touchdowns, only five picks, he, he ended the streak of, you know, playoff losses for the chiefs there. Uh, been a long time since they'd won a playoff game, got that done. And then uh, that, that year of working with Mahomes, you know, the fact that the chiefs did not have to rush, Patrick Mahomes out there, although they probably could have. Uh, but we, we've seen that teams, Bo, are, is in, they are in, as impatient as ever when it comes to getting these guys out there and rushing them out there when they're not ready and such. The Chiefs were able to use Alex Smith for that one year and let Mahomes learn under him. And the way that Mahomes took off and was ready and won that MVP that next year, taking him to the AFC Championship game, 
Uh, Andy Reid's plan with Alex Smith, that tenure, I, I would say, was, was a total success for, uh, for what they did and how it ended getting them to Patrick Mahomes, being a, a transition quarterback of sorts. Well, he was the Chiefs quarterback for 10 seasons. And in those 10 seasons, he had double-digit wins four times. He wasn't there 10 seasons. I'm sorry. I was looking at it, those years between injuries. Sorry. He was there one, two, three, four, five, five seasons there. And he went to the playoff. He got 11, 10 wins twice with the Chiefs. I'm adding this up, right? Yep. So I, 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 I tended this. So I think he was a better player with the 49ers. I think mean, he had his best two seasons with the 49ers. He had the, the year they went seven and nine. They actually won a playoff game that year. Um, and they went 13 and three with the Super Bowl. And uh, that was, I think, his best season. I don't disagree with you that they're going from Mahomes, uh, you know, being the guy who transitioned to Mahomes. I don't disagree with you at all on that. Um, but he was brought in to be the franchise. He was brought to Kansas City to be the guy. And he never really was. I don't think it was really a great, a great marriage that he they didn't use his skill set well. Um, I mean, he's the guy. He's a good, a good player, a good guy. I mean, that's where I disagree. As someone that covered this team for four years, I saw him as a transition guy. It never looked like the long-term plan. You, you may be right. I mean, they got him in 2013. And then and he was here through the 2017 season. But when you get a player, uh, you know, of his caliber at the time, uh, when they brought him in, they were really thinking this has got to be the guy. I mean, you bring in any starting quarterback, he's got to be the guy. You don't – if you bring in a guy because you think he's a transition guy and he's there for five years – that means you're not doing a good job as the, as the, in, in getting your players, whether it's a general manager or, or a franchise doing that. They brought him in to be the guy. And I don't know. I think that – I mean, I don't think he's a bad player. I, again, I'm going to get rocked on this because people are going to think I'm just degrading Alex Smith, and I'm not trying to do that. I just think he was good. He wasn't great. And I think Let he's the hate flow, Paul. say so much good about him. Let the hate flow. You hate he he's anti Alex Smith Jones. We've heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Oh yeah, um, I, I just think Bo's wrong, and that's okay. Um, you know, I mean, he he can he can take an L on this one. That's fine. Do you, uh, do you think the Chiefs were ever a serious Super Bowl contender with Alex Smith as their quarterback? Uh yes, I do. The last two years, they were a Super Bowl contender. The sixteen and seventeen seasons. Yes. They went 11 and remember how I think we we have such a recency bias. I think you're forgetting how bad this franchise was when he showed up. Yeah, I'll agree with some of that. No, I could agree with there was a really bad line of quarterbacks. That was a very, very long time in Kansas City. I agree with that totally. I won't disagree with you thinking that, hey, he's better than anybody that came for him before him for since Joe Montana, I mean, they needed career. something. They saw a night they, they had to give up what a second round pick, and they knew that he could compete. Andy Reid was a quarterback guru. I thought it was good for a time. It was good for that transition, and and great for Patrick to sit under. I mean, they kept him a year longer than they had to. Really, that was yeah. by choice. 
Well, the thing is, Tyler, so to, to, to counter your argument here, in 2013, when the Chiefs got him, they weren't thinking, this will be a guy that's here a couple of years, and he'll help us get to a new quarterback in 2018. All right, here's here's a solid comparison that I think that I just thought of, and I think it's pretty solid. Granted, one has a Super Bowl, one does not. One had one did not get them there and got the Super Bowl. Are you going Alex Smith or are you going Nick Foles? I would take Alex Smith over Nick Foles. Take Alex Smith. Nick Foles. I would take, Alex. Oh, I would agree. I would take Alex Smith over. That's Nick not a fair comparison. Alex Smith's back. Alex was way better. The Nick right. Foles. Right, right. Okay. So I'm okay. not trying so to we'll say he's start... dog shit. Hold on, hold on. Uh, Nick Nick Foles was Alex Smith's backup at one point in time. So that I don't think that's a fair comparison. I, I think I've always looked at, uh, you know, Alex Smith and Tony Romo being very comparable. Ooh, no. No, I would. Tony Romo was a much better player. Than How many playoff games did Tony Romo win? Zero. Uh, one. The one. How many Super Bowls Nick Foles win? Uh, Nick Foles did win a Super Bowl. Yes, we're aware. Um, but Nick Foles. But you just said if, Nick if Foles were... over Alex Smith, but now you're saying Romo. No, no, no. That's not that's, playoff that's, wins. Now you're comparing apples and oranges. That's not. And that's pretty cool. I mean, that's no, there. No, that's not a fair comparison. That's not a fair comparison. Who would you compare uh, Alex so, Smith so, to? So Tyler, in 2015, or 2013, when the Chiefs got. Alex Smith. Do you think they would have taken Alex Smith over Tony Romo? Uh, no, I don't think so. But there was a stretch where they were comparable. Where no, there's not. They're different types of quarterbacks. Romo's an actual quarterback. Tony was a running back. I love it. Tony was a chunk artist. Hey, Alex Smith throws the goddamn ball on third and (laughs) ten. Six yards to the guy I'd be doing the out out of the backfield. That was the knock on him for his whole damn career. He did. That's what Andy Reid asked him to do. Yeah, but Andy Reid was wrong. And Alex Smith is because Andy Reid didn't trust Alex Smith to make a play more than 10 yards down the field. Notice that Andy Reid didn't have any problem doing that when he got an athletic quarterback. Oh, and he had, had no problem with that. to do that, that, that resulted in interception. He only did the chick down shit with Captain Chick down. Oh, I got to disagree with you. I, I just I think he's way overrated. When, way when overrated. Romo was asked to do that, that resulted in interceptions and constant choking and such. I get that. Well, I'm, taking, I'm taking Romo. I'm taking Romo over Alex Smith. Uh, but not, not crazy. Not crazy. I don't think he's that much better, but I would take Romo over Alex Smith. I, I tell you what, I, I, you want to know a quarterback that I think is a, a player like Alex Smith today? Andy Dalton. No, no. Andy. Yeah, you want a comparison? Andy Dalton and Alex Smith are the same type of player. No, the no. Chiefs and the Bengals were both dog. Uh, Andy Dalton was solid there for a while, and so was Alex Smith. But neither was going to win the Super Bowl. I mean, Alex Smith in his last year before retirement still took a team to the playoffs here. Like, this is the NFC East. Calm down. It's not like the almost said they are word. Oh, I should have. Um, Washington football team's not in the NFC West. I mean, a, he got him there with the dog shit record. He didn't even play all season. 
Aaron Donald ate his ass. And he still came uh, he came back from that leg injury and everything, and they were so depleted. That was great. It was great. I'm not saying anything bad about the leg injury. I'm not trying to judge him, but that's not the, the value of who he is as a player. That's the value of who he is as a man. And that's, I will give him all my respect on that. There's got to be credit for that in his – his intestinal fortitude and his value to come back as a player, though. Not every yeah, guy. Yeah, that's a, that right, that's look, a, has to Alex, do with him as a man. That, his resilience For the majority of Alex Smith's time in Kansas City, he was the worst quarterback in his division. No. No. Yeah, Philip Rivers, Rivers better. Carson Palmer was better. And he got Peyton Manning. And he was right, better than – Which one do you want to take over He was better Austin. than Osweiler. He was better than Derek Carr. I've said over the bulk of his time, they were not the quarterbacks for the bulk of his time there. He was, he was never the, the best quarterback, quarterback in the he division. He was the worst franchise quarterback of that division in the time he was here. I, I would take him over Derek Carr. Derek Carr wasn't the quarterback then. Yes, he was. I went – Bo, don't get now, – now you're frustrating me. I saw these let's guys go, go let's keep head. it going. Multiple, multiple times. Don't don't push me on that. I know my stuff. Oh, here we go. The young versus the old. Lawrence versus Omaha. Let's see it. Right, hang on here. I'll pull this up. Okay. Alex right, Smith Alex was, uses the quarterback. 2013-2017. Okay. Let's go find the Raiders. Raiders quarterback, 2017. 2017, it probably was. I'm getting there. It probably was Derek Carr by then. It was. Yes. All right. 2016. Oh, I'll take it back. It was Derek Carr for most See, of the there year. we go. There we go. Now okay, I went too. I went too far back and said. But, okay, so Alex. Hold on here. This is There's not Smith much difference owns. between Derek Carr. Alex and Smith Austin. owned Derek Carr. He, he beat him almost every time. It's Derek Carr. We're not talking about fucking Brett Favre. Yeah, I, I, I I'm hard pressed. If I had to choose Derek, Derek Carr, Derek Carr is as good as done as the social media coordinator is in in Las Vegas now. I don't know if you guys saw that cringeworthy tweet, but we're going to talk about the Raiders. I think that's got to get mentioned too. Yeah. Okay, I'm moving on. Enough of this. Alex Derek Smith. Carr with the three straight Pro Bowls while while Alex Smith was in Kansas City as well. And Alex Smith went to three Pro Bowls too. So yeah. Okay. Same for you. So Jones, are you ready to put Alex Smith in the Hall of Fame or what? Uh, he, he's a Chiefs Hall of Famer. He's in the Chiefs Ring of Honor. Um, but uh, that's where I would stop there. Trent Alex Green's Smith. Alex here. Smith is Trent like Green De- is Demar in. Derozan. Trent Alex Green. Smith is like Demar Derozan is in Toronto. Thank Let's you for making the sacrifice so we can get a Super Bowl or an NBA championship. Quit talking over me for a second here. Um, Trent uh, Trent Green's not in the Ring of Honor yet. He should be. Alex Smith should be as well. Um, I, I would agree with those. I would agree with both those. And I would Alex, say that Alex Smith's a better player than Trent Green, and Trent Green has better numbers. Yeah, and, and maybe okay. that's – Maybe but I would tell you, as a coach, there there are a lot of players, a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL I'd rather have than, than, than Alex Smith. And it's because me, of the nature of how he plays. Let me play devil's advocate. If he never gets injured like he gets injured, is he still in the ring of honor in, in Kansas City? 
Uh, well, what that happened in that Washington? Hurt when he in, Washington, though, didn't? Yes. I mean, it's still, but no, that's not don't. relevant. That's not relevant. Think, that's not I agree relevant. With Tyler on that. I don't think that's. I agree with you, Tyler. No, no, I don't no, think that's, that's relevant to him. That's this that's the biggest reach of this whole conversation. Let's go ahead and move oh, on. Oh, see, I think your biggest reach is him being better than Romo. That's the biggest reach. Was, I didn't even say he was better. I said he was comparable. Don't twist my words. He's not comparable. He oh, my God. Stop. Stop. We'll move next on. category. We're moving on. Uh, I'm tired of both of you here. Um, the, uh, the draft. Uh, looking at – we've talked a lot of different facets of this draft. When it comes to quarterbacks, skill positions. What about defense? Bo, where does it start for you on defense? Well, okay, so the defense thing is interesting to me because – the rules in the NFL changed. I mean, they don't, there's no value in defensive players now, except for edge rushers. And if you look, I, I, I have to pull a look here, but if you go and look at like, you know, who are the, you know, projected top players of this draft, I, I'd have a real question to see how many of defensive players are in the top 10, top 15. Uh, it's overwhelming. We talked last week about how quarterbacks are overrated. Defensive players have been made underrated because, frankly, because of the rules. And there's no value in getting the best linebacker, the best corner. I mean, the second best corner is good enough because they're about the same. But you got to have that best, great quarterback. You know, I there's some overvalue. I mean, there's some undervalue. And I think that. I don't know. I want to look at the list of you know the top players. I'm gonna to have to ask somebody to give me a moment here, but um, where would I what, what you, you think you're, you've got something where you want to go with this? Go with this. Let's see what you're saying here. Okay, so when when it comes to defense in this draft, um, you know, I, I would say the first question I have is, can you build a team still, Bo? based on your defense. It looks like Carolina's trying to do that. Washington's trying to do that. Is that a successful long-term plan anymore? We know it was at one point, but with the emphasis in offense now, can you build a team defense first anymore? No, you can't. And the reason you can't is that you can build a really good defense with a young quarterback. But eventually the quarterback gets older you have to pay them. And then you, what's the first thing that suffers is your defense. So it's the, the, the best example I've ever given. This is Russell Wilson. So you know, how good was the Legion of Boom? That was the last great defense. And it's because they can afford it on the cap because of the young quarterback that didn't cost you anything. But the flip side of that is eventually you got to pay a quarterback and all the defensive guys are gone. So if you go in and you look at these top players, you know, whether it's Patrick Sertan, um, uh, let me see here, uh, J.C. Horn, Caleb Farley, uh, these guys are, I mean, these guys are going to be good NFL players, but nowhere near where they really, if you were just breaking the top players, these guys should be higher, but they're just, they're just not valued like they are offensive players. And I think that, so your question of, okay, well, what's the, uh, can you build a defense and your defensive team win? Not overall, you have to have the QB. But your defense can be, you can fill in a lot of gaps defensively. 
I mean, the pack, the, the, the Bucks just showed that. I mean, they don't have a, they didn't have a stellar defense all season. They had Brady. They got into the tournament, you know, in the playoffs there, and then they their defense played good enough. That's happened a lot in the NFL. It's happening more and more. The teams that are trying to build a defensive-minded team are doing it because they lack a quarterback. Yeah. So with that, um, if you had to take a defensive player, um, if you're in that position, you got a need for defense. Who are you looking at of, of those uh, players available there? Best defensive player I think in this draft is Patrick Sutan. You know, from Alabama. I think he's the best defensive player in the draft. A uh, corner, a big corner. He's a bigger guy. Um, I think he's a guy that's going to be a pro and a good one for a very long time. Uh, I like that he's got some size. Uh, he's actually got a pedigree and his dad played in the league. Um, you know, coach from Alabama. You know who the position coach is. You got, a, you got a defensive back from Alabama. They've been coached personally by Nick Saban, so you know they're good. Um, and you know they're going to be they're going to play well. I, I think if I was going to pick that one defensive player, that'd be the guy. There's a few others. You know, Michael Parsons is going to be good. Um, you know, Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech. I saw him play a couple times in college. I think he's going to be excellent in the NFL. Um, yeah, I, those, if I had to choose one, that's where I'm going. And uh, at this time next week, we will uh, be one night away from the draft. And uh, we, we all know who's going to number one, obviously. And these mock drafts are all just ridiculous anyway. Uh, but what, what do you see happening? What, what's kind of your just outlook? I, I'm, I'm not asking you to do a mock draft, but how do you think one week from now Thursday is going to go? I think we're going to see a shitload of overrated quarterbacks and letter receivers go high. <laughs> now, I think the wide receiver class is a good set of guys. you got three really good ones. Uh, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, and Dylan Waddle. I mean, they're all top players. Hard part with that is that you got to go to a team that's going to use you right, put you in the right situation, and you got to have a guy to throw you the football. So, you know, I've said over and over, I think the best player in this draft is Jamar Chase. But the knock on him and why he can't be the first pick is that he's a wide receiver, and you have to have someone to throw the ball to him. Um, you know, when they're kind of out on their own, you know, like you just can't do that. Uh, it's why, like, you talked in the past about, you know, why are tight ends undervalued? They probably shouldn't be. Um, but I think we're going to see these quarterbacks. I think we're going to see quarterbacks one, two, three, four. I'm standing by that. I've said it for a month now. I think the first four picks are going to be quarterbacks. And then I think we're going to see the wide receivers all go high. Uh, we'll see Sewell from Oregon be the first lineman. He'll either go five, six, or seven. Um, you know, but I think, yeah, we're going to see these quarterbacks go fast. And, and I think that you're going to look, there'll be four quarterbacks in the first round, at least, and at least two of them are going to bust. Tommy totally bust. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's just the nature of the game now, unfortunately. You have to go and get the guy, even if you're not 100% certain he's the guy, because, well, you got to have the guy in order to win. Right. Um, so with, uh, with moves as far as trades and stuff goes, uh, last year's draft, if I recall correctly, the first round, actually, well, I think we were surprised how inactive it was in trades and such that teams weren't being aggressive on draft night. Um, I know we're still weak out, but do you think 
we're going to see teams going to hold back or do you think others are going to be more on the aggressive side as far as draft night trades go? Well, I think it'll be interesting. I think there's a couple different spots and a couple teams to look at. Um, if the quarterbacks go through the first four, so that would be Lawrence, Wilson, um, Fields, Fields, and, and uh, Mac Jones. Someone's going to reach on Trey Lance. Um, so someone will trade up to get Trey Lance. I think we'll also see um, – I can see someone jumping up to five or even if they make a huge package to Atlanta before for Kyle Pitts. I think if somebody says, Hey, this guy's really athletic and really good. I think we are going to see some trade. There's some guys that are going to be um, that certain teams are going to fall in love with and say, that guy fits our system. This will get, I think we're going to see some moves. Okay. And I think, I think, we're, I think the Patriots are going to make a move. Yeah. Like, first time we see Belichick move up. I think we're used to them trading back so much. About time they traded up at some point. So, got to happen eventually. Brian O'Connor, uh, fun segment today, uh, as always. Uh, I know that got interesting, but, you know, we, we always have a, a good time around here. Different than normal, but we'll, uh, we'll do it all again next week. Bo, appreciate the time. Check them out. O'Connor Advisor Group, OAGKS.com, OAOConnorAdvisorGroup.com as well. Thanks for joining us, Bo. Hey, thanks, guys. Y'all have a good week. Take care. There you have it. Coach Bo joining us. I will defend Alex Smith to my death. Uh, so help me God. We will <laughs> move on. Tom Fuller, we coming up in a bit. Before we do, let's talk NBA. Steph Curry was just on a run, a historical run, the uh, last, gosh, week or so with 30-point games and shooting three-pointers like nobody's business and such. And and, uh, you know, what is he, 32, 33 years old now? I mean, just impressive play from Steph. And, you know, we know what the Warriors have been through, right? You know, they're not 100%. And you go back before Kevin Durant was there, Steph played at a whole nother level where he controlled things. Won a championship uh, without, uh, without Kevin Durant where he was the leading scorer and he was leading the way. And now, Tom, I feel like we're seeing that old Steph, the one that was in command control, kind of come back of some sorts. I mean, as a basketball fan, I think this is what made fans fall in love with Steph Curry was this type of basketball that he was playing. This is similar to what he was doing before Kevin Durant got there. And, and, and that's what made everybody want to be fans of Steph Curry and such was that type of play. And we've seen that return in, uh, in in the era of Steph Curry there without Kevin Durant now. Right, yeah, and, and, and he's back up to that play, back almost up to that that Steph Curry swagger, you know, without play and Draymond's kind of falling off and no Kevin Durant where he's just kind of the leader of the team. He's kind of like back to that swagger of, uh, I like to call it the old shimmy shake Steph Curry, the the – I'm going to do what I want. Kind of, I mean, I know it's painful for you Thunder fans, but it's been a couple of years when he just, you know, I, I think like Russell Westbrook hit a, hit a pretty big shot. And then Steph Curry came down and hit the buzzer beater from near mid court. And he knew the whole time it was going in. And it was, that's kind of the swagger we're getting back to. We're getting back to the Steph Curry that, that people, you know, that kids fell in love with and became Warriors fans for.
Yeah, it's fun to watch and doing it at his unless age. He's, unless he's playing your team. Right, exactly. Unless he is playing your team, that's for sure. Um, but it, it's great to see. You know, uh, I'm not a Steph fan by any means, but the, to see him play like this, the all the three-pointers, you know, playing like it's nobody's business and such, this is fun to watch. And it was quite the run for Steph Curry. And, you know, there was so much attention, Tom, focused to Kevin Durant coming back from injury. I think some people forgot that, oh, yeah, this year Steph came back from injury too. And, you know, he, he's doing it without Clay Thompson and such. And, and here he is. He, he found a way to, you know, make it work and such. I mean, this was a long recovery process for Steph too. And, and here he is. I mean, it, it is – quite the story when you talk about comeback if we want to have a comeback player of the year of some sorts there's a good case for to be made for Steph Curry for doing what he did after missing all of last season right yeah and, and he even said something about the MVP of said you know that he should get it but he doesn't think he will but whatever I, there was a quote earlier that he had, he had mentioned on something like that I mean I, I, Jones, to be honest, I haven't looked too hard at the standings here as of late, and it's probably for my own doing because the, the Spurs aren't playing so hot. But, um, I mean, could the Warriors make a push? So here's, here's what we're looking at. As good as Steph is playing, this is what's fascinating. They're still outside the playoffs right now. They're in the nine seed at 29 and 30 with Memphis at 29 and 28, a game ahead of them. And then San Antonio is not too far down at 28 and 29. Um, you know, it, it's, it's real close. Razor's thin edge between those three teams. And then we have the possibility of this uh, play-in tournament uh, that, you know, is thrown out there because the COVID times and such here. Um, Golden State, Tom, that is, if I'm Utah at that one seed, I'd much rather face uh, John Morant and Memphis than I would Golden State any day. Golden State, that would be a scary eight seed if that comes to be. Yeah, that would be not the team. I would definitely want to face the Memphis team that's less experienced. I would it would be a, just a draw of bad luck if you have to end up drawing the Warriors. That would be a nightmare. Yeah. Um, and, and looking at the, the Western Conference right now, Utah leading the way with Phoenix behind them. The Clippers at, uh, in, in third place, you know, they're three games back. Denver in fourth, Lakers fifth, Portland sixth, Dallas seventh. We mentioned Memphis eighth, Golden State ninth. Um Looking at these uh, these standings here, Tom, as we're getting close to the end of the regular season here, I don't see there being that much change. I know the Lakers are going to get Anthony Davis back, but three games back at Denver, maybe they get up to the four seed. Um, you know, may, I, I think Golden State does get in over Memphis, but re really beyond that, um, we're starting to see some separation. I, I think that where the seeds are at in the West, there's a pretty good chance that they go unchanged or hardly change at all. 
Yeah, from what I can see, I'm looking at it now. It, it does look like everything's somewhat locked in. Maybe a few changes, but nothing drastic. Nothing, nothing where I would be, you know, I, I wouldn't, I would be very shocked to see a whole, whole lot of movement. Now in the East, probably maybe it could be a different story. Um, the 76 are still remain up there, but the, you would, you would, you got to think the Nets are going to have control of that one seed by the end of the season, despite, you know, some of the, shortcomings and injuries that they've kind of faced yeah and uh speaking of that let's look at the uh western at the uh, eastern conference there uh philadelphia with a uh, half game lead on brooklyn at this point and then milwaukee's in third the knicks are in fourth atlanta fifth boston sixth miami seventh uh, charlotte eighth and then uh, indiana in ninth washington about four games back at that eight seed um, first off, looking up top, uh, you know, Philly's had a good year. Doc Rivers has done a good job there in Philly, you know, with the change of scenery and such for him. I give Doc credit for the job he's done there. But Brooklyn, you, you had Durant out for a bit. Kyrie stepped aside for a bit. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, uh, he retired unexpectedly and such. You know, for Brooklyn, I, I still think that – not only are they going to win the East, I, I think that they have enough time on their end where I would be surprised if they don't work their way to being the one seed at this point. James Harden's playing so good right now and such. Uh, that's why I look at Tom. Brooklyn's going to find a way to be that, that one seed. If not, not the end of the world either. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're kind of like one of those teams, as long as they're there, they'll be fine. Sure, they would love to have the one seed, but I mean, for as stacked as that team is, I don't think it's really going to matter all that much. Sure, you'd like to have the one, but, uh, I mean, at that point, you just want to be healthy going into the playoffs. How about the Knicks at the four? They've won, what, eight straight now? What What is going on with the Knicks? I know that Jul- Julius Randle is just playing out of his mind right now. I mean, yes, the Lakers won a championship, but how much do you wonder – the Lakers regret moving on from Brandon Ingram and uh, Julius Randle at this point. Julius Randle's been great uh, there. Uh, what, what, what's going on with New York? Why are they all of a sudden this top four seed, Tom? What, what finally clicked in New York beyond just Julius Randle? Yeah, I think I, I think Jones, um, what it was, I think they watched the movie Soul and and saw that little jab at the Knicks in the movie Soul, and they took that personally. Maybe so. Um, Atlanta at five, Trey Young having a good year, Boston six. What about Miami? Um, this was a team that was in the NBA Finals just a few months ago, all the way back in October. Granted, they got there last year as, what, the sixth seed? I mean, it, it was totally out of left field when uh, they went to the NBA Finals. So they've been in this position before. But, Tom, I expected more out of Miami that they would kind of pick up from where they left off of that playoff run last year. But that hasn't been the case for the Heat. Yeah, they did handle my Spurs tonight. But other than that, they have been kind of a little underwhelming this season. I did see reports, too, Jones. I, I there's There's a couple of great uh instagram follows i mean i'm i don't know if you follow house of highlights or not house of highlights is a great one uh there's another one called hoop alerts on instagram great nba follows uh for rumors trades 
uh, information, just everything. And it's some of the, some of the best content as far as following uh, the NBA that I've ever seen. Um, and they have a lot of uh, rumors, like I said, rumors, trades, infographics, all that good stuff. Uh, definitely suggest that's not an advertisement for them. That's just letting you know if you need some great follows. That's that's one I Thomas Bridges recommends because that's where I get a lot of my info. But um, I did see um, an, an article come out, or you know, a, a little info drop that the Heat were very concerned about Tyler Hero's celebrity status, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, I mean, he's the whole team's kind of underwhelmed, you know. Jimmy Butler is Jimmy Butler, but still, we we heard all this talk at the beginning of Heat making another run and getting some other key pieces. Um, you know, we heard a lot at the trade deadline, nothing really happened. Uh, I mean, sure, they could they could no pun intended heat back up and and make a run um but still a little little underwhelming and i wouldn't be too satisfied if i was a heat fan to be honest no no absolutely not uh last thing on the nba before we go here tom um we talked last week that uh jokic was the obvious choice for the mvp um a week later i have no reason to think it's changed at all uh is there anyone else you would throw out there that has a shot to be MVP right now? Uh, I mean, I think, I think the Joker's still there. No, I don't think anybody's, you know, coming or up is up on his stature just yet as far as the season goes. But uh, I mean, still, you know, still a solid month left to go in the regular season. Um, if anybody can stand out and make a change and, and will their team, you know, up the playoff ladder and, uh, maybe, but right now I think it's the jokers to lose. Uh, but I think he's got a pretty solid grip on it. There you go. That's, uh, our NBA discussion here on the Jones report this week. And, uh, before we get out of here today, time for our top full race story of the week where, we find something ridiculous happening in the world. Last week, we went to the internet of all places. Tom, where are we going to head to this time? Jones, uh, you know, I think we're, we're going the wedding route. And if you don't know, um, it's, it's wedding season. So I, I, think it's, uh, I think it's only fair that we talk uh, about weddings. And I'm no stranger uh, to weddings, DJing him and going to venues and doing that sort of thing. But Jones, this comes out of no other state than Florida. I don't feel like it's been a long time since we've had a solid Florida story. And uh, this, you know, we've had some crazy Florida stories. I, I feel this like is- Florida, Tom, is the uh, bigger uh, version of Oklahoma with water. It could very well be. Uh, I mean, maybe the maybe a better term to put it is Oklahoma is the Florida without water. Uh, maybe so. Because there are some wild things that come out of Florida. There are some wild things that come out of Oklahoma. We do have the not today interview and the ain't nobody got time for that uh, interview. So maybe we have better 
crazier interviews and people. But Florida has, seems to have the crazier stories. This isn't, as far as the crazy letter goes, Jones, I, the, the crazy letter for me at 10 is changing your town name to Miracle Whip. This isn't a 10. This is more, I would say, probably like a six and a half, seven, but crazier nonetheless, Tom Fullery nonetheless. Article off of Fox 13 Tampa Bay. South Florida couple tries to have a wedding at Stranger's Mansion without getting permission. Um, Southwest Ranches, Florida, courtesy, oh, sorry, not courtesy, Courtney Wilson and Shanita Jones invited family and friends to their dream home and estate. That's in quotes. For their weekend wedding celebration, the ceremony Saturday, brunch on Sunday, there was just one problem. The couple didn't own the 16,300-square-foot Florida mansion and did not have permission to use it. The suburban Fort Lauderdale estate had everything, a bowling alley, swimming pool with a waterfall, hot tub, tennis courts, a gazebo, and an 800-foot bar. That sounds like my kind of place. Wilson said it was God's plan that the couple marry there, even though they didn't have permission. But despite what the invitation inferred, the actual owner, Nathan Finkel, never gave them permission to hold the festivities there. He was stunned when Wilson showed up Saturday morning to set up and he called police. According to the South Florida Sun Sentinel, I have people trespassing on my property, Finkel told 911 dispatcher, and they keep harassing me, calling me. They say they have a wedding here and it's God's message. I don't know what's going on. All I want for it is to stop. And they're sitting at my property right in front of the front gate right now. Two officers told Wilson he would have to leave. He did not. He did, and no charges were filed. I don't want to talk about it, Wilson told the paper. Finkel, whose late father was an early IHOP restaurant franchisee, has been trying to sell the property for two years now, listing it at just over $5 million. Wilson, posing as a potential buyer, toured the estate several months ago, said Keith Polikoff, attorney for Southwest Ranches, the upscale suburb where Finkel resides. A few months later, this guy asked Nathan if he could use Nathan's backyard for his wedding. Polif said, Nathan said no. But that did not stop the couple from sending out elaborate invitations detailing their love story, reconnecting 30 years after high school and how he proposed over pizza on Christmas Eve. The Saturday after ser- Saturday afternoon ceremony would be followed by a red carpet cocktail hour and a reception lasting past midnight. Sunday brunch would be from noon to four. The guy figured it was a vacant house and didn't realize Nathan lived on the property in a different home. Uh, this guy's no idea he lived there. You know the shock that must have been on his face when he showed up at the gate and the owner was home. Broward County rec- records show a marriage license has been issued to the couple last week, but they had not registered as married by Wednesday. Jones, um, the guy said no. They show up anyway. Uh, it's a bold strategy, Cotton. It's it's a bold strategy. Uh, I'm wondering if this is not a better play that they found out earlier than somehow being in the middle of the ceremony and getting the cops called. Uh, I mean, what, what in the hell? Okay. So, I mean, they're lucky. This wasn't one of those type of people that, uh, that says no trespassers or all shoot. Yeah. I mean, that would be Oklahoma. Um, but Jones, let me tell you aside. Uh, uh, this is where Tom Foley originated, kind of. And uh, I was 17 at the time. So I'll, I'll tell you a quick story about Tom, probably somewhat breaking the law, but maybe not. 
Um, I won't incriminate myself too much because I won't give a whole lot of detail. But Jones, when I was 17, there was this house for sale and it was the beginning of my senior year. I, I think maybe junior year, maybe I was younger. It's been that long, unfortunately. Um, I'm trying to, it would have been the beginning of junior year. And yeah, it was the beginning of junior year, Tyler Jones. And it was still warm enough outside that you could swim. And one of my friends lived next to this nice house for sale that had a pool with clear water still in the pool. And so one Saturday it was nice out and Friday we scoped it out and swam in the pool Friday after school. Saturday we decided to call up all our buddies and literally swim in this nice house pool in the backyard. Not a full on pool party, but we did swim in that damn pool all day. Uh, Probably about 20 of us. And no cops are called. Nothing happened. We didn't break anything. We just swam in the backyard pool, but I assume that's how this kind of went. Now, if someone would have showed up and told us to leave, we would have, but we didn't try to plan a wedding. We just wanted to swim. Jones, what in the hell would you be thinking to, you know, send out all these invites and just hope that it all goes according to plan? Right. Then uh, what do you tell your guests? Where do you go? Do you have a backup plan of some sorts? I mean, um, do we know where they went after that? It doesn't say, but they were, I mean, where were they all planning to go? So they were going to have a party all night and then Sunday brunch. Who, okay, for one, if you got that good of, not, I wouldn't even call it good. If you got that an elaborate of an idea that you're one going to have a wedding, Okay, cool, fine. Sure. You're going to party all night for a reception and drink and do at this 800-foot bar, which is pretty lit. But, you know, you're going to party all night. I've never heard of a wedding that's like, okay, everyone come back the next day for a Sunday brunch for four hours. Like, were well, these people going to clean up the mess and try to make it look like they've never been there? Or did they not think this place had security cameras? Uh, or did they not think not that well thought someone, out. yeah, did someone not think that there was going to be a ton of traffic and that no one was going to call it in on a $5 million property? Uh, it's just like, wh- what? Like, I mean, there's a lot of drugs in Florida and I suspect there had to be a little drugs going around this. Oh man, it doesn't make I just, sense. I just, it doesn't. I don't understand. Now, do, um, tell me this. Maybe I missed this, Tom. Do we know? Did they try to ask initially, or did they just show up completely? They did. They did ask for permission earlier on. I guess however many months before, and the guy said no, and they just said the hell with it. We're doing it anyway. Which <laughs> you know, I if you know, first off, they should have scoped it out. And the, what do they say about permission? You always just do it. it you know, they, they say asking for forgiveness is for easier forgiveness than permission. Exactly. And they broke rule one. They asked for permission first. You got told no. And see, you can claim ignorance to some. I mean, stupid people get a lot away with a lot of stuff in America. You can't claim ignorance after you've already asked. 
Right. That's how it goes. I don't see why the guy wouldn't say yes and just let him do it and make some money off of it. Yeah, I would have charged for sure. And, you know, if if he's just barely living there, sure. Rent it out as a venue, make some money off of it. If the house isn't selling, you might as well make some money off right. of it and do it. Um, but he did say no. I mean, obviously, you would have the the party getting married, you know, take out insurance Right for you know and and you know have them liable be liable for anything broken, damaged, stolen, yada yada yada, all that legal talk. But no, they said the hell with it. We're gonna do it anyway. I'm wondering what would have happened if they would have had the wedding there, had something happen, and and let's say someone drowned in the pool. Then that's on the guy who owns the house. Now, I would say this too, Tom. Also worth noting. Um, I, I've been very pro on, you know, hey, opening up things and, you know, you're trying to live close to normal again. Now we're all vaccinated and such. Uh, but a wedding, Tom, I, I, I've, I've looked at these weddings. I'm like, I would push that off as long as possible during this uh, during this pandemic. I mean, th- this is what I plan to do at some day, Tom. Whenever I find a lucky lady uh, at some point, might be, you know, Soon it might be 20 years from now, I don't know when, but I've always thought my perfect idea would be um, we're going to the courthouse shortly after getting engaged, going to go ahead and get married right away, and then just do the ceremony later on your own time. I mean, why are people getting married during a pandemic? I mean, just go to the courthouse, get married, and then do your ceremony when we can all like have normal celebrations and all that again. Yeah, the only thing I can think of is that people booked their venue before COVID for a certain date and then the venue said non-refundable and so they said the hell with it we're going to do it anyway. Right. I have heard that which in that case fine. If you had booked before COVID because some of these venues book out you know three four years in advance um, you know for the right venue i mean the smaller ones maybe not so much but the bigger ones that are super nice definitely do um i mean you'll hear booking for i heard booking for 2022 um at in december of last year like i mean full year and a half ahead or more um so i get it and a lot of the time those dates are already set in stone and the venue gets their money and they can't refund it because, you know, last minute changes or anything like that. They can't get another wedding booked out there in time and they lose money. I get that. Right. So if you've already paid for it and you can't get your money back, then by all means have that wedding. But if you don't have to have that wedding and you're booking right now, then, you know, if I was to get engaged right now, thankfully I'm not. And thankfully I've never have been. Um, at least up to this point. <laughs> I mean, but thankfully have not. So I wouldn't have, you know, to deal with booking a wedding during COVID times. Um, you know, I would just wait. I mean, what's the rush? I mean, like you said, get the marriage license, have the ceremony later. In theory, you're going to be with each other forever anyway. All right. Save up some more money. Because no one wants to go to a wedding if it ain't an open bar. Uh, and I always said, if I ever get married, 
I won't get married or have a wedding until I can afford an open bar. And when I can do that, hopefully COVID will be over by the time I can afford an open bar. Oh, and I'll be at that wedding. Uh, yeah, you bet your ass you will be. And we'll celebrate my ability to afford an open bar and right. maybe cry over the fact that Tom can no longer journey out. I don't know. Right. Oh yeah, one one more last time for, for all uh for old time's sake. Right. Yeah. I'd probably be in that one wedding. More, yeah. One more one more NASCAR is right. Right. Dude, who knows? Why am I not you might not be in the wedding because there might not ever be one. Right. Oh gosh. I'll, I'll bring the PBR. Who knows? I'll bring the case of PBR and we'll be good to go. There'll be an open bar. You won't even need to. I just feel like it would be right of me to, as a rite of passage, to bring PBR. We'll, we'll shotgun them before the wedding starts. I love that idea. I love that idea. Jones um, <laughs> Report, the only show you're going to get wedding advice, uh, football talk, basketball talk. We're, we're everywhere on this show today. And, and we also right. addressed right off the top, we had a very serious moment, uh, you know, after the Chauvin trial and all that, too. So. We have been everywhere on this show today, uh, and we hope you had fun listening uh, to this show. We always tell you, you're going to laugh, you're going to cry, you're going to smile. We'll do it all here on the Jones Sport, and uh, I think we've done everything today. And a big thanks to Ben Albright for joining us as well, Coach Bo, uh, for stopping by. Uh, check out O'Connor Advisor Group, OAGKS.com, O'Connor Advisor Group.com as well. And uh, also subscribe to the Jones Sport, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. Facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, Tyler Jones Media Group, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live. Check that verified mark. That's me, believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> check, uh, check out Thomas at uh, the, the unverified Thomas Bridges at Thomas underscore Bridges and uh, TJ Media Group. Instagram, Toggler, Jones Live, Instant Thomas, Jones underscore report. You can find us there. And we'll be right back here next week. And a quick plug, by the way, the other show I do, uh, other podcast, Let's Go Racing with David Starr, myself, NASCAR driver David Starr, and Dominic Oregon. We're getting ready, Tom, for this, what we're going to call Championship May on that show. And we're going to have champions of the month of may in auto racing um and we're, we're already lining some stuff up mario andretti is going to join us i think we just announced david rudiman is going to join us um and he, former coke 600 winner and uh we're going to be on we're going to have this show as well as the let's go racing podcast on david Starr's car uh, for some Xfinity races here, uh, I think like after Talladega, not this week, unfortunately, but I think next week we're going to be on the race car for like four out of the next six races. And we're also going to be on uh, Timmy Hill's cup car for the all-star race. Um, so Tom, that's, I, I don't even know if I told you about that yet, but that's, uh, we're going to get a little promotion for this show and the let's go racing show. We're going to be on a race car in both the Xfinity and the cup series uh, over these next uh, three months, about four or five different races here. Yeah. That's pretty lit to the all-star race. Is that the one you're going to? That is the one I'm going to. Yes. So I had to be there for the race that 
I'm on the car of that cup race. We're going to be there. Yeah, that's going to be, you're going to have to drink some PBR then a celebration. <laughs> I think so. On that note, we will go. Thanks for joining us, folks. We'll be right back here next week. For Thomas Bridges and Tyler Jones, thanks so long. It's been another edition of the Jones Report. We'll see you next week.